I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Hello, 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 hello. It is Wednesday, January 9th, 2019, the second episode of 2019. And, uh... You can tell I'm a little more subdued today, and that's because I got my wisdom teeth taken out last week. So if I sound a little different, that's why. Uh, and I'll be a little on the uh, a little quieter this episode. So hopefully you can, you know, turn crank that volume knob up a little bit. Uh, I'm not gonna scream or anything, so you don't have to worry about getting your eardrums blasted out. Um, but uh, I just wanted to come in and 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 well, not what am I talking about? I don't go. I just pull out my garage band and record this episode because we had so much stuff happen this last weekend in sports we had the college football playoff uh, championship game and we had wild card weekend in the nfl as well as some other stories so we're gonna get to all of that in this episode uh, it's gonna be interesting to see what we're gonna we're gonna talk about in the next couple of weeks because obviously we've got the nfl that's gonna be dominating the headlines but uh, we're going to start as we start to move away out of football season, which where you get all these dominant storylines every single week. And then we start to get to more of the, you know, you're not quite sure what we're going to talk about week to week. Um, and so that's going to be fun to get back to that as it usually is. But we've got, you know, college basketball is really starting to uh, come to a come to an end and we're getting into March and that's going to be fun. And then the NBA as well and those playoffs. Um, as we head into the you know second period of championship season uh, in around April through June for the NBA, and we also got Major League Baseball coming back in just a few months, so we're not going to have a shortage of stuff to talk about. That's for sure. Uh, so I'm very uh, excited to see what we're going to have in the upcoming weeks, in the upcoming months, and the long takes. But for now, let's get to what happened last week, and we're going to start. Uh, as you may have expected, with the college football playoff championship game. Uh, I don't know what, what generally, the general consensus coming into this game was that Alabama and Clemson were these two very good teams. They had separated themselves from the pack and the rest of college football, and we saw that in the semifinal games. But I think general consensus in my belief and my prediction was Alabama was going to come away with this game just because they had more talent and... Um, and they were just going to be able to prevail with their experience and all, but it ended up being the opposite. Clemson beat Alabama in a beatdown, forty-four to sixteen. I don't know if or no one really saw this coming, and and there were a couple of factors, but one of the things that where Clemson really overperformed was in the quarterback comparison. Tua had already experienced this type of moment playing in the national championship game last year against Georgia and leading Alabama in a comeback uh, when they were down 13 points at halftime, coming back and winning that game in overtime. And Trevor Lawrence was this freshman who came in for Kelly Bryant in the fifth game of the year, got hurt in the only game when they were really had to compete with someone against Clemson or against Syracuse. And even though we played really well against Notre Dame, I mean, their defense did as well. And we weren't quite sure, you know, what, what are we going to get from Trevor Lawrence? But, Early on, we got a shootout, which I was very excited about because I like to watch those type of games. And I think it kind of got uh, both teams, but especially, I mean, Alabama out of their comfort zone. 
uh, Tua Tungvalu through two picks where it was a misread of coverage, uh, something we're not used to seeing from him, and also Nick Saban going for it twice on fourth down. Generally a pretty conservative coach, although he's he's gotten more open in recent years, but including going for fourth down once at his own 35, he did make it. But uh, just seeing that out of him, especially that early in the game, was really surprising and just kind of set the tone for, for the kind of uh, upside-down game we were going to get. Meanwhile, Trevor Lawrence thrived really in this in this locate in this type of game because he was not phased at the moment phased by the moment at all. I mean, he was making beautiful throws. I mean, early in the game it was deep throws down the field where he had some wide open receivers and didn't miss them, and then later on it was then the needle. Justin Ross had a humongous game as a freshman at Clemson, um, and, and he never really made any of the same mistakes Tua did. I mean, against an, an offense like Tua in Alabama. Uh, all you, all they really need is like one, one or two, a couple of turnovers, and they get momentum, and then all of a sudden it's a train you can't stop. Um, but Clemson never gave them, and Trevor Lawrence never gave them that opportunity. Um, and as a result, uh, they never took their foot off the gas pedal. And by the end of the game, Alabama's defense was so tired they weren't going to do anything to stop Clemson. I mean, Clemson held the ball for like the last ten minutes of the game, ending any chance of a comeback. So, I mean, Clemson. Did had the recipe to beat Alabama. It's a stringent defense, a very tight defense, stopping one of the best teams that offenses that Nick Saban's ever had, uh, and at the same time on offense handling or controlling time of possession. Uh, even though they didn't do that, they just did it when they needed to, um, and not letting their foot off of the gas pedal. I mean, they were going for it on fourth down in like the last couple of minutes. And one, one stat that jumped out at me in particular is that no team had beaten Nick Saban at Alabama by more than 14, which had been done three times. And that's pretty shocking, I mean, because if, if you think about it, you can think of some Nick Saban losses. I mean, the Iron Bowl, uh, the kick six of years ago, um, the loss at Ole Miss with the fluke plays, uh, the loss in the national championship game against Clemson two years ago. I mean, you can think of some Alabama losses and that were big as far as... Because anytime they lose, it's a big deal because of how good Nick Saban has been there. But you, you never... There never really was a time when his team just got flat-out outplayed the entire game. Uh, a, a case where it wasn't competitive at the end. So, I mean, you can't... There, there, there literally wasn't a case before today or before Monday. And I, I think that's pretty surprising, and it just goes to show how well Clemson played that night. Uh, also, the fact that Alabama scored no points in the second half, albeit some one of them was a poor uh, fake punt, which I don't know what they were doing. Um, and then also just some fourth down conversions at the goal line they weren't able to, to get. But Clem all you need to do as a defense is don't let them score. I mean, it sounds obvious, but that's the name of the game in football. And... At the end of the day, not letting them score from the eight is the same thing as forcing a punt as far as possession-wise. So, I mean, Clemson's defense stepped up when they needed to, and that's what made the difference in this game. Now, before we get on to the ramifications of this for Clemson, I think one thing I want to say is that lost in all of this um, demolishment is, as we look back, I think we're going to forget how good this Alabama team was going into this game. We're going to remember the national championship. We're going to remember uh, Nick Saban getting crushed and Alabama losing and all of that. But we're not going to remember how good this 
team played in the regular season. I mean, with the exception of Georgia in the SEC championship game, and then obviously this loss to Clemson, they basically ran over every team in their path this year. I mean, even the games like the Auburn game, I mean, that never really was super close. And they never uh, were played down to an opponent. I mean, maybe against the Citadel, haha. But, like, they, they never really faced a significant challenge outside of Georgia and Clemson. And also, uh, Tua, even though this wasn't his best game, and even though he made mistakes and he didn't play the fourth quarter, he had a near uh, Heisman year. I mean, he, he lost the Heisman in one of the closest votes uh, in Heisman history. So Tua had a historically great year. Alabama had a historically dominant year, but that's going to get lost because they weren't able to finish the job. And it seems cruel, but that's the story of sports. I mean, if you don't win, no one's going to remember you. And that's just, uh, unfortunately for Alabama, that's just the way it is. Meanwhile, on the, on the other side of the coin, we had a historically great Clemson team as well. Um, if you take a look at their schedule as well, uh, the only close games they faced were against uh, the Texas A&M, uh, the second game of the year, and Syracuse. And they ended up becoming the first 15-0 team, Dabo was saying, ever, but it's really since 1980, or 1897. I actually wrote this wrong in my notes. Um, was when the Penn Quakers went 15-0. And also, in the highest stage of the game, when the lights are the brightest, they had two blowouts to the point where the game in the fourth quarter wasn't even close. I mean, beating Notre Dame 30-3 to and then beating Alabama by 28 here. It's, you don't see this very often. I don't know if we've ever had this in the playoff era. And because the lights are so, or the intensity is so high in these playoff games. It's not a question. Of, this is not one of those cases where you can say Alabama wasn't up to the test or they didn't prepare or they just didn't have it that day. I mean, this is a national championship game. There's no reason, not just no excuse, there's just literally no reason why you would not be up to the competition. And so for Clemson to have this type of performance against Alabama, it just demonstrates how strong of a team this was. And this team that won. 15 games this year is going to be around for a long time because Trevor Lawrence, it, it starts with Trevor Lawrence because Trevor Lawrence is only a true freshman, not even a redshirt freshman. This is his first year in Clemson, South Carolina, and yet he not only led his team to national championship, but he's got that potential to stay there for a while. I mean, he doesn't strike you as a, you know, a Manziel type or a Tebow type. Uh, He's very composed, he's level-headed, uh, he has a deep voice, he uh, understands the situation but doesn't let it, and doesn't let it overcome him. I mean, he never looked like he was panicked. You never, look, you never see him showing too much emotion on the field. He's just going about his business, la-di-da, almost like, uh, you, you never want to make lofty comparisons, but you know, the Brady's the NFL and things like that, where... You get a guy who never lets the moment get to him, and that's what Trevor Lawrence really looked like in this game. Uh, this was one of the first times that I had watched him for an extended period of time, and, and he impressed me at every turn. Plus, I mean, Dabo Sweeney is still pretty young as far as coaches go. Uh, he's got plenty of years left, and and he really portrayed himself as kind of the common man in, in his post-game interview. I mean, he didn't make it sound like he was a guy who's a legend and he's on his way out. 
He made it sound like he's just another guy, and he sounds like he could do this for another 20, 30 years. And so there's no reason that this Lawrence-Sweeney uh, combo can't ride to another couple of appearances in the playoff, if not another couple of national championships. Because Trevor Lawrence is going to be at or wearing the orange and white for at least two more years. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to, f- to have success uh, in, in the future. And I think it's looking at broad strokes, right? This Alabama was the dominant, the dominant team in college football coming into this year. I mean, they had won those four championships in seven years, and Nick Saban coming up on over or passing Bear Bryant for the most championships at Alabama is obviously a very storied program. So. Alabama was the number one, and they had been referenced as the driver of the bus, but I think when you step back and you take a look at this era, especially with how it's projecting into the future, people are going to remember Clemson with Alabama as the the top tier in college football during this time period, during the, the 2010s, because this game really ended all doubts that they were on that Clemson was somehow on a lower level than Alabama, or even that they were at the moment on the same level. I mean, I think this game, talent-wise, should have been closer than it was. But nonetheless, I mean, Clemson definitely outplayed Alabama. and They've now tied the series uh, as far as Clemson and Alabama meeting in the playoffs at 2-2. Two to two. But people, Clemson has now a legacy. Now they've won two championships. 2016 or 20, 2017 wasn't a fluke. They can beat Alabama. They can beat them big. And so these two teams will be remembered as the top tier of college football from this era. And I really would not be surprised to see a game five between these two teams next year because Tua will be coming back. Uh, and, of course, Nick Saban and his recruiting class uh, will be there to lead as well as having Trevor Lawrence coming back, as I previously mentioned, and Clemson will always have a great recruiting class um, up there with teams in the SEC. So if we see Game 5, I wouldn't be surprised, and I look forward to it. So the call, So that means with that game, the college football season is now over. It was a lot of fun. I mean, college football is probably, one of my, it's probably my favorite sport to talk about just because every game means so much. I mean, you can... Like, we do it every week. I mean, with with so many different matchups, you can say, okay, this game happened, now what's going to happen as far as the playoff race? And I want to kind of address, um, kind of ad-libbing this a little bit, but one of, the con- one of the controversies, I guess, or the criticisms of the playoff is that it kind of de-emphasizes all of the other bowl games. Like, it... it makes them all seem less significant because people are just playing to get in the playoff. And while I think that obviously is true to some extent, I mean, right, when you add this whole college football playoff and you add a whole other game to bowl season, that, that does take away some of the importance of the other New Year's Six Bowls. But I think it's easy to say that in a vacuum, but when you actually get down to it at the individual level, at the individual bowl level, especially when it comes to the prestigious bowls, the New Year's Six Bowls. 
you see how much these bowls mean to each team. I mean, e even LSU and UCF, the, the nobody wants to be here bowl. I mean, look how much it meant to us, like Devin White, linebacker at LSU, who's going to be going to the NFL. I mean, it means, or probably, I think, it, it means so much to them to win this game and to demonstrate on a national level who they are. And also just the additional publicity that comes from a college football playoff and also the additional stakes. I mean, one loss no longer means you're out of the hunt for a, a championship. Now it's two losses. Or even if you're a two-loss team, if you have a really good strength of schedule, you have a chance. So more people are in it for longer, and I think that means more fun for everyone because we can talk more about ooh, more permutations and more opportunities. And I think it just makes the whole experience a lot more fun for everyone. I would actually be in favor of expanding to a 16 playoff before I would like to expand to an 18 playoff. Just because the, the nature of there being five power conferences dictates that you want to have uh, one playoff content member from each con power five conference, and then you get the at-large you can give to like UCF or whatever. I think that's a better option because it, it allows you to not have all of so many more games. Um, and it allows teams to kind of have more things to play for. I mean, getting the bye would be very important, as it is currently in the NFL. I mean, the NFL has six teams per conference right now. So that's my opinion on college football and expanding the playoff. And uh, it was a great year, and I look forward to the next one. All right, now that college football is done, let's hop over to the NFL, which will take center stage for the next uh, couple of months or next couple of weeks. And what happened this Saturday and Sunday, Wild Card Weekend. And we're going to go chronologically. I've got some more things to say about some games than others, but let's start with the Colts and the Texans. Colts beat the Texans 21-7, and I think the Colts now move on to face Kansas City. And I think if they want to contend with the Chiefs, they're going to have to recreate the same formula they had against the Texans. Now, obviously, the Texans are not on the Chiefs level, but... They've got a dynamic quarterback in Deshaun Watson. They've got an explosive wide receiver in DeAndre Hopkins. And the Chiefs have a similar deal with uh, Mahomes and Hill. Now, Mahomes and Hill have both played uh, better than, well, perhaps, than Watson and Hopkins. But nonetheless, I mean, the Colts can, if they can recreate that, the, what they did against Houston, if they can limit Tyreek Hill's downfield passes, like DeAndre Hopkins never really got a chance to spring free and do his magic. And some teams have been able to do that with Tyreek Hill this week or this year. So if the Colts can limit the Chiefs' ability to go downfield, they might have a chance. Now, Kansas City has stronger wideouts uh, than the Texans do, especially with Will Fuller being hurt and all that. Um, and they also have Travis Kelsey, who just is a whole other threat in the passing game because of his ability to uh, catch the ball and fight through tackles. Um, but nonetheless, that's what the Colts are going to have to do if they need, uh, need a ch if they want a chance to win. Also, I think Marlon Mack is going to play a huge role as far as whether or not the Colts win this game because when you play the Chiefs, the first thing you want to do is take the ball out of the hands of that offense and Patrick Mahomes and his explosiveness because once he gets the ball, there's no telling what will happen. So I think if you can use Marlon Mack to control the clock and you can establish the ground game early, 
And when it comes to a late game situation, it will be really helpful to have that kind of play uh, as you move on toward the end of the game. All right, the Cowboys and the beat the Seahawks 24-22. I mean, the the fun one fun thing from this game that I liked was we got to see drop kicks um, with with Sebastian Janikowski Seabass pulling a hamstring. Uh, we had to see Michael Dixon come in and do kickoffs, and since he's an Aussie rules player where they don't have uh, kicks from a tee, they have drop kicks. It was just simpler, and he was able, he knew how to do drop kicks better. Now, kicking actually ended up playing a pretty big role uh, in this game because of the onside kick that failed so miserably. Um, I, I just wonder, how did the Seahawks not consider Sebastian Janikowski getting hurt and then maybe having to rely on another kicker? I mean, even if, even though you're probably not signing another player in this time, it's worth getting Dixon some reps just to, you know, like if he has to kick it onside, you should probably be ready for it because they did not look like they were prepared. I mean, Janikowski had gotten hurt earlier this year and we had or had to come out of a game earlier this year and we had to see some drop kicks. So I, I don't understand why the Seahawks weren't more prepared for this or if they were, they just had really poor execution. Uh, but that's one thing I saw in this game. And also the Cowboys' defense came up big in this game. And we've seen this defense, which is quickly becoming one of the more elite squads in the league, uh, beat the Saints earlier this year and completely stop the the uh, four-headed beast and freeze Ingram, Kamara, and Thomas, and in addition to the other weapons that uh, they have in, down there in New Orleans. Um, so I would watch for an upset there because I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Cowboys be able to stop the Saints again. All right, the Chargers uh, and the Ravens over in the AFC is a 23-17 win for LA. And the Ravens made this game a lot closer at the end of the game and actually had a chance to win it. But uh, for the first three quarters, at least, a game like this where the Ravens are unable to get anything going on offense is why I was so unsure about Lamar Jackson last week. And John Harbaugh, this uh, right after the game said, yeah, Lamar's our quarterback for the future, and Joe's, and he more or less said Joe Flacco's all but out the door. Um, but I I'm kind of surprised at that, because I, I expressed concerns last week about his style of play and running the ball so much, but he he's still really raw right now, and even though you can see the talent, like at the end, he made some remarkable plays, but at the moment, he's just making too many mistakes. I mean, he had two fumbles in the first eight plays, and then he I uh, had a strip sack at the end where we probably should have a little more ball awareness, and so that really came back to bite them. And I, I, I don't see why you wouldn't see many of these same woes next year. Um, we, we, even though he went 6-2 and two in his tenure as, as starter, uh, we saw enough mistakes to say maybe we should pump the brakes a little bit. I mean, maybe we should let him sit another year under Flacco when Flacco's not hurt. Because Flacco is, has won a Super Bowl. I mean, he's no slouch. I said this last week. So that's why I'm a little surprised at the Ravens' decision. Um, but meanwhile, if the Chargers' defense keeps playing like this, led by Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa and the like, they can compete with anybody. I mean, they didn't allow a first down for over a quarter. Uh, I think it was uh, two quarters. And If they can get pressure on Tom Brady uh, when they play New England in the divisional round, I think they. I would watch for them on upset alert as well, but I would put it at lower just because of uh, New England's experience in the playoffs. I wouldn't be surprised to see them advance to the Super Bowl yet again. All right, finally, the uh, closest game of the week, the Eagles and the Bears. 
uh, which ended on a missed field goal, sixteen to fifteen. I mean, the I think the the I guess poetic thing you could take away from this game is that the margins in the NFL are so small. Uh, when it was sixteen fifteen, and the Eagles had just scored a touchdown to take the lead with less than a minute to go. Darren Sp- or about a minute to go, Darren Sproles barely missed the two-point conversion uh, on a run play by like a tenth of a yard, um, and then icing the kicker, and then Cody Parkey having his kick blocked partially with like a fingertip by Trayvon Hester, and then even after that, having the ball hit off the upright, and then the crossbar, and then flying out with a double stoink. Uh, I mean, there's it's just... It's almost beautiful. I mean, how obviously not to Bears fans, but to, to how little has to change in an NFL game for it to swing one way or the other. And I feel bad for Parky, man. I mean, I hope enough Bears fans have seen the clip and know that it was tipped and that the ball was going to be good if it wasn't tipped. I mean, um, I, I would hope so because Parky doesn't deserve to be uh, pariah. I mean, even if he did shank it, he doesn't deserve that. And, I think he's a good dude. Meanwhile, for the Eagles, Nick Foles' wild ride continues. I mean, he had another game-winning drive in this game, coming up clutch on fourth down uh, with the throw to Golden Tate. Uh, and the magic is still there. I mean, and it's still a, the ragtag bunch vibe continues with Golden Tate, their midseason acquisition that was kind of panned, uh, scoring the game-winning touchdown. I mean, they, this team has got that magic again. Um, but the Bears, meanwhile, they'll be back. I wouldn't be worried about them. I mean, they almost beat the Super Bowl champs in this game, and they already have made the playoffs. They're definitely ahead of schedule, if you consider where they were two years ago before they drafted Trubisky. Um, and, and the defense is here to stay. I mean, Leonard Floyd and, and Khalil Mack, those guys aren't going anywhere anytime soon. So uh, I think the Bears will be fine, even though their fan base might not be able to want to hear that right now. Uh, I'm telling them, your team will definitely be back. Okay, time to do the quick take. We got just some short topics today. Um, this is from Timothy Rapp of Bleacher Report. Jalen Hurts reportedly an NCAA transfer portal intends to leave Alabama. I think it's it's worth talking about Jalen Hurts' legacy because he was he re- he really emerged this year as a good guy, as one of the good guys in college football because it's. He he lost his starting job to Tua, and it really he just had one bad half. I mean, he won the the game before that against Clemson, twenty four to six, and he had one bad half, and he got subbed out, and he lost his job. I mean, that's partially his fault, but I mean, it it's not it's not something that feels like feels right. It doesn't feel like he deserved to lose his job, and yet he stayed with the team. Uh, and he got rewarded with it to some ex- for to some extent, coming in in the SEC championship game and helping lead them into the playoffs, and then getting some reps in the national championship game too. I mean, you never saw, you never heard him say anything bad about Tua, at least not to reporters. He never started a controversy, and part of that is the culture at Alabama. But part of a lot of that, most of that, is him internally not wanting to be a disruptive force, and not wanting to hurt his teammates and putting the team first. And he deserves to be able to transfer. He, I'm sure he will get a standing ovation, or he will get a lots of recognition at Alabama for what he contributed to the, to the Crimson Tide for his years there. Um, and I wish him nothing but the best.
Thank you so much for listening to the Long Takes, this Wisdom Tooth edition. Uh, check out the podcast, bit.ly slash the long takes, the long takes at gmail.com, patreon.com slash the long takes. I miss, I, mix, I mix up the order of that every time. Um, rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Send questions and voicemails. Thank you so much for listening, as usual, and I will, uh, yeah, I will see you next week.